Ashley brought me Diane Palmer's book, Motionless, Chapter 9. Marky was already in love with Megs. He followed her around, rambling on about her wonderful cookies and how big the house was and how many animals the Blackhawk family seemed to have. There was a big Persian white cat curled up near the fireplace and let Marky pick it up and hold it on his lap. There was another cat, a turquoise-shelled one, that kept its distance. Joss was delighted at the friendliness of the people who worked for John. She didn't expect it. Her idea of wealthy people was undergoing a really version of late. Now that she thought Cammie Blackhawk wouldn't be friendly, she knew John's secretary was living here even temporarily. Marky loves the kitchen. Jocelyn told John while she was taking dictation for emails that would send to various agencies about current cases. He chuckled. He was still in some pain and he slept a lot, but he was improving daily. She despairs over my eating habits. I don't like heavy meals, but she loves to cook. She him over and laughed. You're still pale, he shrugged and then winced, because you get your daughter, you'll understand why. I'm glad you're going to be okay, she smiled at him, her eyes lit up. I'd hate having to break in a new boss, he smiled back, his eyes narrowed on her face. She was pretty when she smiled. He liked the color of her hair and the thickness of it. He liked her long neck and the perk firm little breast that stretched the front of her blue, blue, pale blue sweater. He frowned, in a flash of memory, he pictured something he shouldn't even have seen. You have a mole, he said on his face. On your rib cage. She gasped and went red. He cleared his throat and shook his head. Good God, I must be out of my mind. How would I know such a thing? She fumbled with the keyboard and almost dropped a small notebook computer. Sorry, he added. I'm really sorry. I don't know why I said that. It's okay, no problem. She stammered. Probably an after effect of the anesthesia makes you do and say all sorts of weird things. Yes, they said it might. But he wasn't smiling now. Now, as he looked at her, he felt a pang of consciousness. He didn't understand why. Jocelyn always read Marky a bedtime story. Usually it was Dr. Seuss. His favorite was green eggs and ham. She laughed as he made a face. I won't eat green eggs and ham, he muttered. Just between us, I wouldn't either, she whispered grinning. I like it, Erie told her. Megs make good cookies. Yes, she does. Megs makes everything good. I wish we could stay here, he sighed. They got horses. I want to ride a horse. We're going to talk about that, but not tonight, young man. She said, now let's finish the book. You have to go to sleep so you can get up early in the morning to help make us at the table for breakfast. She's going to make biscuits. I heard. I like it when you make biscuits. You don't cook much except for breakfast. I don't have time, baby, she said gently. It was hard to describe her hectic job to a child. She was usually so tired when she got home in the evenings that she just thawed out food she'd frozen earlier. She had a cooking day on the weekend when she made large amounts of a dish, separated it into portions, and froze it. Then she could serve the entree with vegetables and fruit during the week, ensured that Marky had balanced meals, and that she did too. I like your biscuits. Thanks, he been kissed him. I'm sorry your boss got shot, he said. I like him a lot. So do I. Now let's finish reading, she said firmly. She tucked Marky in, kissed him goodnight, and turned out the life. She left the door cracked so she could hear him. Sometimes he had night terror. She didn't like having him out of her sight, even if others thought her overprotective. He did have health problems. She went back into her own bedroom and sat down heavily in a chair. She'd been kept so busy that she hadn't had time to worry about the breaking at her apartment, but in the darkness she couldn't forget. She burned the diary as she threatened to. It served no purpose other than a reminder of an episode that was both painful and potent. It contained information that could be devastating not only to herself but to innocent people if it were ever revealed. Far better to have it destroyed than risked 
that. But John's outburst today had shocked and frightened her. She'd read enough on psychotropic drugs to know that flashbacks could occur, but she was less informed on memory. She had never remembered anything, and perhaps he didn't consciously, but the intimacy of her being here in his home in his bedroom with her had triggered some whiffs of memory. It disturbed her. She should never have overreacted either, but it had been impossible not to. She sucked her arms over her breast and closed her eyes with a long sigh. She promised herself that she would never reveal the truth, not even under torture. But what if he remembered other things? What if it wasn't a fluke and he was regaining lost time? She sat up, leaning over. Surely life couldn't be so cruel after she all she's been through couldn't end like this. She got up and paced. What would she do if you remembered? It would be a nightmare. And what about his family? How would they? Stop it, she told herself in a horse whisper. Stop it, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. The sound of her own voice startled her. She left self-conscious, got into pajamas and climbed into bed. Surprisingly, she slept. You should eat more than that for breakfast. John scolded as she finished the last delicious piece of a homemade croissant just before she sat down in the chair beside his bed, rested her coffee cup on the table on a dually. I usually cook breakfast for Marky, but I never eat much, she said apologetically. I don't have time. Meg says the boy eats like a horse, he chuckled. She smiled. He's always starving to hear him tell it. You do a sketch of Meg's. She showed it to me. You should have him taught, he added gently. He has great natural talent. I think so, too, she said. I'm con I've considered it. Yes, I, I can take care of the tuition. She pumped with her notebook. Almost dropped it. I can manage, she said abruptly. Why are you so nervous with me? Yes, you're not like this at work. She's like, I'm not used to being around you away from work. No, that's not it, he said. It's something else. She felt butterflies wobbling around in her stomach. Mr. Blackcock. John, he corrected gently. She bit her lip. I can't. His black eyes narrowed on her face. He held on a big hand. Come here, Jocelyn. His voice was gentle, tender, sent ripples of sensations over her skin. She should have ignored it. She should have pretended not to hear. She put the notebook computer carefully on the table by her chair, went to sit beside him on the bed. His arms were around her, set her with unnerving curiosity. We've danced around the subject for several years. You would never tell me what happened that night. We went to the diplomatic's daughter's party. You better lip again. You were under the influence of a very powerful psychotropic drug. She began. Yes, I know all that, he said impatiently. But what happened? You you got very sick and I drove you to the emergency room. She's stammering. We came to the apartment first, he said. I do remember that much. I remember you helping me in the bed. The rest is very blurry. But there has to be a reason that I know about that mold, Jocelyn. She tried to move away, Zondon. You. You. Got a little out of hand, she confessed with a nervous smile. When I brought it, and Morsley out of hand, she cleared up. Just a little. He ducked and landed on his broad bare chest, hands going on each side of his lean, of his head on the pillow. Don't you open the wound? Not a chance, he mused. His eyes had flecks of green in them. He was her eyes had flecks of green in them. He was fascinated by this view of her very close. Her mouth was soft and pretty, with a narrow bow shape, her nose was straight, with a tiny line of freckles over it. There was a faint red tinge in her hair, which was thick and soft. He smoothed the sand over it. You're pretty, he said in a deep soft tone. I am not she's like pretty, he repeated, his eyes darkened, his hand speared into her 
the hair at her nap and his fingers contracted. Poor face down her. Don't worry. It's just the anesthesia making me goofy a few days down the line. His wide, firm mouth covered hers, brushing at the tightness of her lips until he teased them apart. His arms contracted gently, enveloping her. The kiss was slow, soft, insistent. She loved the way he kissed her. She moaned softly, helplessly, and went limp against him. He turned, and a gross sound escaped his throat as it hurt, but he kept turning until she was laying on her back. His mouth never left hers. His big hands moved under her sweater, over her per breast, and down to touch the mole he knew about, the mole he certainly had never seen. The thumb eased up under the band of her bra, teased around the softness of her breast while his mouth crushed onto hers in the heated silence of the room. Dear God, he was hoarsely fumbling at the catch behind her back. He found it and unsnapped it. His hands moved over her firm, soft little breast. His eyes were blazing as he looked at her, registering the helpless attraction. The utter delight in his touch touched the hard nipple, heard her gasp at the pleasure of Unbelievable, he said huskily. Pushed up the sweater in the bra and looked at her firm, dusty tip breast. Beautiful, he whispered as his head bent. His lips moved over the hard rise. His tongue caressed it. She moaned again and arched up to ease his access to her body. She loved what he was doing. She couldn't even pretend to protest. His hands moved under her back, feeling the soft bare skin, which was like warm silk to his touch. His mouth opened on her breast and suckled it hard. She cried out. He lifted his head to look down at her flushed, shocked face. His nostrils fell flared he never felt anything so powerful so erotic in all his 30 years they gossip about me at work he said gruffly they speculate you can't pretend you haven't heard the rumors she managed to not no true he said his eyes black and glittering i've dated i've even had petting sessions over the years but i've never gone all the way with a woman she rubbed her eyes. He turned her head back so that he could see her. Cammy and my father raised us very strictly, he told her. We were taught that sex outside the sanctity of marriage is a sin. It was such a powerful lesson that we were prisoners of our own beliefs. At first, I had so many hang-ups that I couldn't do it. Then as I got older, I was embarrassed that I'd never done it. We're all prisoners of our upbringing. She agreed. Smoothed his hand over her breast and joined the view of it. For instance, you're, you're as religious as any woman I've ever known. Yeah, you have a child out of wedlock. Yes, it's done. I made a decision. A wonderful decision, he corrected Tinley. He's a great little person. Done well with him. Thanks. The point is... <laughs> You've had sex. His thumb and forefinger contracted on a top nipple, producing helpless smoke from What does it feel like? He asked in almost a whimper. Her lips parted. I don't really know, she confessed. It was so quick. <laughs> he was in a hurry. She swallowed. We were just kissing, and then all of a sudden, it was so urgent. She burned her eyes. It just happened. It hurt a little, and then it was over. Damn him. <laughs> He was drunk, she said, defending him even now. He isn't, wasn't, she corrected me. The sort of person who ever lost control. <laughs> Went without saying that she was the same sort. Didn't say, you think he was killed overseas? Yes, I'm sure that he was, she replied, but she didn't look at him. He was very sorry. <laughs> Did he want you to keep the child? He didn't know about the child, she replied. I couldn't tell him. It was too late. <laughs> His hand's still on her body. He didn't like the idea that she'd had somebody else. It ate at him like an acid. He bent and brushed his mouth over her taunt breast, enjoying the sounds of pleasure that she emitted when he did it. He could erase the bad memory. He could pleasure her like this, but more, much more.
His breath became his mouth became insistent. She shivered. The pleasure was quickly becoming un unmanageable. She felt his hand at the fastening of her slacks and she caught his wrist. No, she whispered hurriedly. We can't. He was almost too far gone to stop. But with his own instincts, visibly trying to backtrack, his eyes went to the door, which was standing half open. He laughed in spite of himself. She followed his gaze and called even more. Oh, dear, he pulled his sword out. Do you want me to apologize? He asked. He searched his head. You're not sorry? She replied, trying to make a joke. No, I'm not. He replied in his black costume. He tastes like honey. She flushed and scrambled to her feet. She fumbled the catch of her ball back into place, pulled down her sweater, and tried to smooth her hair with her hands. There's a brush on the dresser. He said, helpful. He was laying with his face propped on a hand, watching her with obvious pleasure. She went to get it. She smoothed it over her hair and then noticed his. Without thinking, she went and sat down on the bed beside him and ran the brush over his long, thick hair. He sat up to give her access. Your hair is beautiful, she said while she brushed it. Your brother and I saw it all tangled when you were shot. We said you'd hate having it out of place. I would. He watched her face smiling. I've never let a woman brush it. She smiled. I'm flattered. <laughs> when she finished, he took the brush from her and brushed her on her. Mutual gray mean a predictable behavior in a primitive society. She laughed. Is it? <laughs> Fingers touched her small How long have we been together? He asked. A long time, almost five years, and we didn't know each other at all. <laughs> she nodded slightly. Reality was working its way into her mouth. She let her boss kiss her. More than kiss her, he had a mother who ate live rattlesnakes and who hated her guts. She had a child who could complicate everything. Stop thinking, he told her. We'll take it one step at a time. No pressure. She met his eyes warmly. Your mother hates me. She stated, Cammy's a puff adder. <laughs> Sibling, excuse me. It's a snake. A friend of mine from Georgia told me about them. They're non-poisonous, but they can rise up in their tails and spread their cheeks and hiss like a cobra. But if someone goes at them with a stick, they faint from fear. She burst out laughing. A defensive behavior? <laughs> yes, Cammy's like that. She's all marshmallow inside, but she's learned to hide it from people by being obnoxious. Jocelyn didn't think that was the case, but it was so new and wonderful to have John looking at her this way that she didn't voice her opinion. She said, We should get back to work. You know, yes, we probably should. She put up the brush and sat back down with a notebook computer in her lap. He stared at her warmly for a long moment before he began dictating again. Jocelyn didn't know how to handle the new situation. She was afraid that John was going to want more from her than she could give. She had grave misgivings about her place in his life and a real fear of his mother's reaction. They became involved. Then, too, there was Marky. How he was going to fit into the scenario was the most frightening part of it. And into this worry came quite suddenly two new complications. There was a call. Came into the main phone line at the ranch and picked up by the messaging machine. The call was brief and blunt and threatening. You're all dead now, he said. The kid goes first. You don't know my family and live to tell about it. John heard it before the others did. He had a trace put on the call, but it came from a cell tower miles away, and they couldn't get beyond that. Called the local FBI office. They set out a couple men with electronic equipment to set up a network. Then Jocelyn made some phone calls and discovered to her utter shock that Harold Monroe had been formally charged with the murder of McEwen Killer Raven's little girl, Melly. There was a witness who had come forward to offer testimony. A man who had been in the cell with Monroe and who had heard him brag about his part in the killing during his weeks in jail, waiting for trial on the human trafficking charge that was dropped. Monroe had been stupid enough to tell the man about the murder weapon and his in 
ingenuity and hiding it in the public place. The police, led by Rick Marquis on a tip from John, who'd spoken to a contract, had subsequently searched the covert. Right outside the San Antonio Police Department and found the shotgun, the murder weapon. Tucked it in the garage bag with Monroe's fingerprints on the stock of the gun. They said a stupid mistake, a very stupid mistake. But a stupid man who thought, thought the police were too dumb to ever catch and convict him. John was in shock as well. None of them had ever thought that Harold Monroe, the idiot nephew by marriage of Jay Cooper, was even smart enough to use a shotgun, much less kill a child with it. All the evidence had pointed to Cooper's nephew, Peppy Hancock. It was the most convoluted set of circumstances John had ever seen in his years of law enforcement, and it went against the odds in every way. It was almost as if the charge had been contrived for some unexplicable purpose. John was worried about what his brother might do. Mac had loved his child very much. They were certain that a dead man, Dan Jones, had been involved in a murder, and Jay Cooper had been arrested and prosecuted for ingenuing it. Mac had even heard Cooper say that Peppy had been set to assure that the hit went down, but now it seemed there was another shooter. In fact, the main shooter, whom no one had suspected and who was just being charged, Monroe blamed John and even his secretary and her child for his getting caught. Jay Cooper had dangerous connections. The voice on the phone, which had to me, had to have been Monroe's had promised retribution, and John couldn't afford to underestimate the caller's intent. So he called his brother reluctantly and asked him to get Rook to come to the ranch and protect, ex provide extra backup. I thought you liked him, Jocelyn said curiously when he told her about it. I do, but he didn't look as if he did. He was remembering his mother's comment that Rook was unmarried and apparently interested in Jocelyn. He didn't want the competition, especially right now, and there'd be any stages of a new breathless romantic relationship between them. Do you like him? John asked her with feigned antagonism. Well, yes, but only as a friend, she said once. He seemed less rigid after that. But Jocelyn was remembering something that the trip had knocked out of her mind. Someone had broken into her apartment. She burned the diary, but what if someone had photographed it? She was still brooding about the break-in when Killraven showed up at the ranch without winning. And in a cold and threatening mood. They've got Harold Monroe in jail again, Johnson won. But this time he won't slip through the cracks with or without some hotshot attorney paid by his wife's Uncle Jay. You think so? Kill Raven asking her. He just made bail. Do you ought to set up in bed, Wincy, for the movie? He what? He has contacts, Kilburn said honestly. These contacts have contacts. They found a judge who released him on a half million dollar bond. His attorney assured the judge that he was no flat risk. Which judge? John wanted to know. Kilraven named a young jug, just elected to the bench his previous year. Him? John said, he signed off on a serial killer's bond on humanitarian grounds. Kilraven's eyebrows arched. It's unusual to say the least to have this somber and politically correct younger burger sound off about a judge or anyone connected to Jews. <laughs> He's naive for someone that intelligent. John Black. Somebody probably Harold Monroe called here and made threats. He told him. Most significantly, he threatened Jocelyn's son. Kill Raven said he like the boy, don't you? Yes, Jocelyn wants his mom. He's intelligent and quite talented with an art pencil. I told Jocelyn he should have lessons. Melly liked to draw. Kill Raven plied his eye uh, somber. She recalled his daughter's last drawing before a tragic death. She had talent, John agreed. I'm sorry. I know it must sting to have another hand of Melly's murder revealed, but he won't get away with it in spite of the judge's little faux pas. I'm not so sure. Jay Cooper has property down in the Caribbean. Monroe can fly down there and hide it up forever. Kill Raven just smiled. What do you know that I don't, John demanded. Monroe 
has his own personal shadow. He's second place. You know, I will not tell you who it is. Rook, John Aston wants glowering. Go Ravens, eyebrows large. I've got Rook watching Jocelyn in her son. He's here. John explained. Set up straighter. Whips again as he looks around. He expects to find the man in his room. He's been here since they arrived. Killed him for him. He gives a low profile so that nobody knows he's around until they need to know. If my employees miss him, several of them will be looking for new jobs. He said flatly. Killed him for that old-timer reviewer spotted him immediately and stuck a forty-five revolver in his back. Rook said he almost had to change his pants. It was such a shock. Jock smiled in spite of himself. You know who that old-timer is? Of course I do. He grinned. I feel better knowing that. I don't like people walking around here under the radar. It has to be that way, Kilburn said gently. We can't put Jocelyn's shot or his. No, we certainly can't. I need to talk to her about the breaking in at her apartment. John Fry. Do they have a suspect? Not unless you mean Harold Monroe, he said, or one of his cronies. No, it's about something in the apartment they might have been looking for. Rick Marquis can't get an expense voucher to fly up here, questioner, so I'm standing in for him. The way he said it was just a little too casual. Really? John murmured, not convinced. Really? Kilraven had a straight face. Why are you so suspicious? It's not like you to do favors for the police. He's right. Rick isn't your typical detective. John thought about that and was like, no, he replied, he's not. She'll be in the kitchen, I imagine. She sees the Marquis meal before she has her own. I'll just pop in and have a word with her, Kilraven said. You sound like him. Him? Rook, he said it made the man's name sound like a snarl. Kilraven had to fight back and grin. It was quite awful yes to him that his brother was jealous of Rook, not because of the sort of work he did. I work on my accent, he replied. You're doing better. He had it with you. Yes, it's lower than I'd like. I want to get back to my office and make sure Evan Road doesn't leave the country before his trial. I'm going to make sure of that. Kilraven said quietly. If he had a hand in Melly's death, and I think he did, he'll never escape justice. Just make sure you aren't dishing it out, John replied. I don't want to lose the only brother I've got, and you have a child on the way any day. I know that. Kilraven said, it's just hard dealing with this. thought it was all wrapped up when we knew Dan Jones had done the killings on orders from Jay Cooper. I never dreamed there was another shooter. Then we were so sure it was Peppy Hancock, but he had an airtight alibi from a young woman for the nine in question. How the hell did Monroe pull off something so involved without blabbling about this? Can't keep his mouth shut. I don't know. It's odd, isn't it? Jay Cooper said he sent Peppy to help make sure Dan Jones did what he was told. He wouldn't prove it because without the missing tape, it was just hearsay evidence, so Peppy couldn't be formally charged for involvement. And now it's Hancock's idiot brother-in-law, Harold Monroe, of all people, who's been arrested for the murder of my wife and child. After wasling out of a human trafficking charge, he found why did he target Jocelyn and the boy? What is it? What is? Because you worked for me? Was it because you worked for me? Why else? Kilraven asked with a plain expression. John had laughed. Laid back down with a long time. I hate having her in danger. Having the boy under her threat. We'll take care of both of them. Kilraven said. We just concentrate on getting well, okay? John said, okay. I'm glad you're going to be alright. John's eyes twinkled. Thanks. Kilraven said. You're the only brother I've got, even if you hang up, sir. Going to embarrass me. To, are going to embarrass Meant to me. Look who's talking. And on that note, I'm leaving. Kill Raven said we're going to. I'll see you again before I leave. I'll count on that. End of chapter 9.